So we are continuing to walk through the letter to Ephesians. Um, Look, we've only been doing this for five weeks and we're already finishing the second chapter today. Like we are flying through this book. If you're in any Bible studies with me, you know that's true. We are flying through this letter. Uh, Today we're gonna do chapter two, verses 11 through 22. Um, But before we read, I wanna remind you, this letter was written to Gentile Christians in a city called Ephesus in the middle of the first century. This letter was not written to us, but it is God's word and it is a gift given to us. And the reason I wanna remind us of that today is that especially this passage and especially today on the 3rd of July, it's gonna be difficult to read this without reflecting on what it's saying about us about Christians, about the church, and about our country, about America in 2022. This is a great nation, but it is struggling to find itself again. I am convinced that we can help. So I want us to be reminded of who Paul's writing to. He's writing to a people who were completely divided And he's reminding them that in Christ, they have been united, made one. Not even just a people or a nation, they've been made a family. They've been cemented together like stones. But the reality is that united people, they continue to let hostility and hatred divide them over time. So Paul is writing to share the good news that there is a solution that in Jesus, real unity in the church is not only possible, it is a promise. So he's writing about unity to a divided people. Can you see how this text might be speaking to us today? So let's dig in. I'm gonna start in verse 11, and I'm gonna start by reading from the NLT. He says this, he says, "'Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders.'" You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus, Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So it's important as we get started to really understand the depth of the divide, like the level of hostility that existed between Jews and Gentiles, even between Christian Jews and Gentiles. And just for those who might not realize it, Uh, Jew and Gentile, that's just a way of saying everybody, right? Um, Gentile is the word used throughout scripture that refers to anybody who's not Jewish. From a biblical perspective at this time, this was the great divide. This is the great us versus them in the first century, Jew and Gentile. And as we go through this, we might have come to our minds some big us versus them divisions in our culture today. So I think the best way that I can explain the hatred between Jew and Gentile, and 
That is what the Greek word means. It's translated often as hostility, but what it actually means is hatred. The best way that I can explain it is just to remind you where Paul is when he's writing this letter and why he's there. So where is Paul as he's writing this letter? He's in prison. He's in a Roman prison. He's a prisoner in Rome, but not because he broke any Roman law. He's a prisoner in Rome because his fellow Jews were trying to kill him. You see, Paul was unique in that he was both Jewish and a Roman citizen. So he used his rights as a Roman citizen. He appealed to Caesar. And being put in prison actually protected him from Jewish brothers who were trying to kill him. And the reason that they wanted to kill him was because, one, he was preaching that Jesus was Israel's Messiah. That was bad enough. But that's actually not the only reason they wanted to kill him. They were angry because Paul was telling everybody there is no us versus them anymore. There is only we. And Paul says it throughout all of his letters. In Galatians, he says it like this. He says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free. Nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. What he's saying is that in Christ, there is a new humanity. There's a new family of God. And that everything that threatens to divide us, all of the ways that we divide ourselves, these divisions have all been overpowered and overcome by the cross and by the empty tomb. That we are now united in Christ. Our differences remain, but the divisions are wiped away. And for that, the Jewish leaders sought to nail Paul to a cross, just like his Savior. So this division was as deep as you can imagine. The hostility, the hatred, as intense as you can imagine. The division between Jew and Gentile, it even found its way into the church. It divided Jewish Christians from their Gentile brothers and sisters. Even in the first century, hostility had begun to tear the church apart. And Paul and the other apostles, they deal with this all throughout the New Testament. It is into this hatred and division that Paul is writing. And he's writing to remind them again of this. This is verse 14. And I'm reading from the New American Standard now. He says, For he himself, Jesus, he himself is our peace, who has made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the hostility, which is the law composed of commandments expressed in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two one new person. Okay, any time in scripture that we hear about two becoming one, what do we think of? Marriage. That he might make the two one new person in this way, establishing peace. And that he might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having it put to death the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. A once divided people have been united together in Christ. Jesus broke down the dividing wall, created a new humanity, made peace, reconciled us to God and to one another. He killed the hostility between us. 
That's really good news. Why is there still division? To really understand this, we need to understand, uh, actually we need a visual image of the Jewish temple in the first century. Now there were two temples. There was the original built by Solomon. And then the second temple was built in the time of Herod. It's called Herod's temple. And in Herod's temple, there were four courts moving from the outside in. From the outside in toward the center. At the center was what? The Holy of Holies. The most sacred place where the Jews believed that the presence of God literally resided. Now, I made this image earlier today and then I realized the text is way too small. So I'll just explain it. Um, From the furthest out to the center, the furthest out is the court of the Gentiles. The next level in is the court of women. (laughs) Now, if you know anything about the standing of women in ancient culture, it's pretty profound that the Gentiles stood outside the court of women. So you have the court of the Gentiles, the court of women, then the court of men, the court of priests, and then at the center is the Holy of Holies, where only one person could ever enter and only one time a year. Levels of proximity toward God, right? It's like the geography of religion. Who gets to get closer and closer to God? Between the court of Gentiles and the court of women and all the other courts, guess what there was? a literal wall, a stone barrier, a dividing wall that stood four to five feet tall. They could likely see over it, but they could never enter. There's a first century historian named Josephus. He describes this wall around the temple. He said that inscribed on that wall is a warning. In 1871, archeologists found the exact wording On this next slide, it says, no foreigner may enter within the barrier and enclosure around the temple. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. (laughs) I mean, keep out would have been enough, right? (laughs) But, But I guess this is much more poetic. I don't know. This is not trespassers will be prosecuted, Right? This is trespassers will be crucified. The Jews saying this to Gentiles. So now can you see what Paul is saying when he writes that he's made both groups into one and he has broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. There is no more us versus them. They are now a part of us. We are one. Do you want to know the final thing? that caused the Jews to chase after Paul for his life, why he ended up in a prison cell? It tells us in the book of Acts, he took a Gentile into the court of men beyond the dividing wall. He crossed a barrier that their religion said could not be crossed. Whether you agree or not, you can probably see why people caught up in an us versus them mentality, if that's how they look at the world, you can see why they'd have a problem with it. Now the reality is there may be some of us here today that have found ourselves caught up in that us versus them mentality. Maybe we've even come to believe that it's good 
to define ourselves by what we're not, by saying that we're not like them. I would just encourage you, if that's where you find yourself, y'all, there are so many voices in this world that are encouraging us to think us versus them, but Jesus is not one of those voices. If you've been caught up in that way of looking at the world, I would really encourage you, and I'm, I'm not saying this cynically, I would really encourage you to spend time with Jesus in prayer and in scripture. Because all Paul is doing is putting into practice the things that Jesus himself did. Jesus constantly broke down the barriers between people. Daryl Johnson says it like this. He says, Jesus breaks down all kinds of walls when he offers a drink to a Samaritan woman. I personally can think of three walls that he breaks down in that one story. Johnson says he breaks down all kinds of walls when he goes into the house of a Roman soldier whose child is sick. He breaks down all kinds of walls as he touches those with leprosy and with other kinds of uncleanness. In Jesus' stories, he breaks down walls between religious elder sons and their lost prodigal brothers. Jesus is always jumping over and breaking down walls in order to seek and save sinners. Like, I don't know about you, but as a sinner, <laughs> that's really good news. <laughs> I'm really glad he's done that. Let's keep reading. This is verse 18. This is from the ESV. It says, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. If you remember from last week, we said that, that grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. In a way, like grace part one is that God has brought dead sinners back to life. Hallelujah. Paul is going on to say that this is grace part two. Now that we are alive again, we have been joined together, united as a people, a household, a holy temple in whom God himself lives and through whom God moves. This is good news. Now to really understand this little section, there are three really important Greek words and Paul uses them in a very specific order because what he's doing is he's describing the progression that we take as we draw closer to Jesus and as we draw closer to each other. And I want you to see this progression. The first word is the word sumpolitai, and it can be translated as citizens or compatriots. Literally, the word means a together politic, <laughs> a body that's been joined together that is governed, but governed by the resurrected King Jesus, the one that in chapter one we found out is above all things. Now, this is about politics, but it's not only about politics. It's about our unity and it's about the one in whom we ultimately trust and the one in whom we give our ultimate allegiance. Paul's saying this is where our unity begins as we are in Christ 
as we are reconciled to Christ and being reconciled to one another. This is where it begins, but this is not where it ends. Because in Christ, we are more than just a body politic or a people. The next Greek word is the word oikos. And this word describes people who live together in a familial relationship. They don't have to be blood. But anybody who lives together as a family under the same roof. You see, nations are good at dividing themselves. I mean, in states and cities and communities, yeah, but even, even just by little societies and microcosms all throughout, we divide ourselves really well. So God has formed us into something even more intimate than a people or a nation. He's made us into a family. But the truth is that even a family can divide itself. Go off to separate rooms. Over time, begin to develop different values and beliefs. Different communities of friends, different co-workers. The differences themselves are not necessarily bad. We're going to talk about this more in a minute, but Jesus is calling us to be united, not uniform. We don't have to be the same to be brothers and sisters, to be united. But oftentimes these divisions do disrupt families. So then God has formed us into something even more tightly knit than a family literally cementing us together as one. And that's where the third Greek word comes in. It's the word naos, which is the word that describes the holy temple. He has carved us, stones. He is shaping us and forming us with Christ as the measure, as the model for that shaping. And he has cemented us to one another, placing Christ himself as the cornerstone And when we're joined together and to Christ, not literal stones, but we are now living stones. And Paul is saying that building of living stones, that is now where the Holy Spirit of God resides. That we, not this building, we are the dwelling place of the Lord. And it's now through these living stones that the Spirit of God moves in the world through this body, this family, this holy temple, through you and me together. This is good news. But listen, this isn't just aspirational. This isn't just, hey, we can all get along. This is more than just hope that we can be friends. Y'all, this is a promise. And it is already happening among us. I want you to think, I want you to think about the miracle that we are even here today as a church. I mean, this all started 2,000 years ago when a Jewish rabbi who walked around the countryside teaching ended up crucified on a Roman cross because he offended religious leaders. He was literally from the sticks, like out in the middle of nowhere. He really just had this small group of friends. Even his own family didn't think much of his mission. (laughs) Like this man should have easily been lost to history. Just another nobody from nowhere, another tragic victim of unjust human systems. Why wasn't he? Why wasn't he forgotten? Because something happened. And because that something happened, 2,000 years later, here we are. And throughout those 2,000 years, billions of us 
billions of individual humans have been made brothers and sisters, regardless of our race, our nationality, our worldview, our political or economic status. Billions of us joined together, still gathering to worship, still engaged in the mission of Jesus around the world. You guys, it is a miracle. Like the persecution and the suffering that the church has faced throughout history, that alone should have destroyed us. Persecution and suffering that that we can't understand. We face a, a level of it coming against our society, but it is nothing compared to what many Christians have faced throughout history. It should have destroyed the church. But not only has it not destroyed the church, Throughout history, everywhere you find the church going through real persecution and suffering, guess what's happened? Church explodes. It grows exponentially. That we are still here is evidence that what Paul is saying is true and that the Holy Spirit is alive and moving among us. So that's true of the church in general, but more specifically to us. I came back to this church Our family came back to this church in April of 2019. Um, And many of you, you may not have put together the whole timeline, but I have very clearly uh, put together the timeline. Two months after we got here, uh, we started a renovation at the church that displaced everybody. Do y'all remember that uh, for months we worshiped in a room that had a temporary cross in front of us and a permanent basketball goal to our left? And then we finally moved back into our sanctuary and three months later, what happened? The pandemic sends us home and for weeks we're worshiping through computer screens. Y'all, in three short years, there's been a lot of change in a Presbyterian church. (laughs) And all change is experienced as loss. And so often, loss leads to division and dissension. And while all of this is going on out around us, people are fighting about masks and vaccines, there's political tensions and divisive elections that are threatening to pull our country apart. And through all of this, this church has navigated it with grace and with purpose. Yes, there have been losses. And I mourn those losses all the time. We are smaller as a worshiping community. But I'm telling you, we are more committed. This church is giving more than it ever has. This church is more committed to things outside of Sunday worship than it has ever been. To mission, to discipleship, to growing together in community. I've been a part of this church for years. Since 2002 is when I first came here. And I know what many of you know. This church has not always been united as a family. This church has not always been a place where when you come in, you feel peace and you feel welcome. It has not always been that way. It is the power and the grace of God's spirit that through a really difficult time in our world, that God has taken what is here and has formed it into something sweet and something beautiful something that is literally attracting people from off the streets. He is doing something. Even even when we disagreed or when we've been frustrated about everything that we're going through, when we've been frustrated with each other, 
Like we've been able to remember that we are one in Christ, that we are a family, that we are living stones being hewn together with Christ as our cornerstone. We're becoming a people with purpose and a mission and values. We're becoming a church that is beginning to see the vision of whom Christ is calling us to be. This is all good news. As we get ready to celebrate this 4th of July, there are many dividing walls of hostility throughout these United States. I don't need to name them. We are all so very familiar with everything that's threatening to divide us as a people. New divisions every day, it seems like. Feels like we can hardly keep up. Divisions as deep as those between the Jews and Gentiles 2,000 years ago. It's so many divisions, it's, it's beginning to feel overwhelming. Like maybe we just can't overcome them this time. And in a way, that's true. Like if we rely on our own strength and if we're left to our own nature, we will just continue to divide ourselves. We will continue to be us versus them. In our brokenness and our sinful nature, that's just now how we're wired to think. Without the church and without the gospel of Jesus Christ that she proclaims, that is the direction we are headed. This is a great nation, but she is in pain and she's struggling to find herself again. And y'all, I am convinced that we can help. I'm convinced we can help because we have good news. That in Christ we are one, a new humanity, a people, a family, a temple. Not because of any system or institution or individual leader, but because of Jesus. The dividing walls of hostility are broken down and unity can now rise up from the ashes of division and dissension. And y'all, I'm really starting to think that maybe that's one way that our little church can really have a great impact and influence on our culture. Even for the losses we've experienced. The family that's being created, the unity, the sense of home that we are beginning to feel here. We just need to model that. We need to model what we're experiencing here for the world around us, of course, in our homes, but in our communities in our workplaces, at school, everywhere we go, in everything we do, the way we have a conversation with others. Every one of us has opportunities every day to encounter and have a conversation with somebody who's weird, (laughs) with somebody who's different, with somebody who's other than us in any number of ways, right? There are a million different ways that we can define each other and separate ourselves from each other. One gift that I think the Holy Spirit has given me is just a way of thinking when I encounter people. I ask myself two simple questions when I do this right. I fail a lot, but when I do this right, I ask myself two two simple questions. This person that I'm about to encounter, in Christ, who are they? And the answer is the same for every single human I will ever encounter. In Christ, they are a beloved child of God. The second question I ask is in relationship to Christ, where are they? 
The first question reminds me of the tone of my conversation. That every human I ever speak to is a beloved child of God. And I should give them respect and courtesy and treat them that way. The second question tells me what I should be saying. If they are a brother and sister in Christ, that's one conversation. If they are not, that is another. But either of those conversations are unifying, hopeful, because we are guiding one another to the love that they can find in the Father through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Before we're done, I just want to share with you, um, many of you know that uh, our music director, Todd Miller, um, he's been going through some um, significant health issues, uh, one of which recently doctors uh, discovered a polyp on one of his vocal cords. Obviously a huge deal uh, for somebody with such an amazing voice and somebody who loves uh, to glorify God through music. Um, Because of that, Todd has been on complete vocal rest now for what, like three weeks, something like that? Uh, he's prepping for a procedure that he's going to have this Tuesday. After that, he told me yesterday, nine more days of total vocal rest. Y'all, that is a really hard thing to do. Have any of you had to do that? I'm pretty sure some of you in this room can't do that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but complete silence, y'all, it, it is no fun. The last meeting that Todd and I had in our office just like a couple weeks ago, was around a notepad. It's very frustrating, very difficult. So please be praying for him as he goes through this. But before all of this came to light a little over a month ago, um, Todd, along with the Kingwood Chorale, which includes many of our choir members, along with our scholarship singers, um, they had the chance to go to Washington, D.C. to sing at the Kennedy Center on Memorial Day. It's pretty amazing. And when they got back, he said something to me that was really profound So I just asked him if he would write it up so that I could share it with you today. So this is what he said, reflecting on the trip. He said, I was renewed in my faith in this country as I viewed the monuments and the buildings in our capital. They are beautiful and impressive. Our country has done great things in the past and I know it will keep doing great things in the future if we all work together to make it happen. He says, our choir from Kingwood was very diverse conservatives and liberals, teenagers and octogenarians, rich and poor, and we joined 200 other singers from all over the country who were equally diverse, ethnically, geographically, and religiously, yet we all came together for a common purpose. And if our country would follow this example, we could accomplish so much to make this world a better place. Like even during this time of forced silence, I'm grateful Todd's voice can still lead us and contribute to our worship. Thanks, Todd. We love you. We're praying for you. The choir was very diverse, yet we all came together for a common purpose. And again, we're going to keep talking about this in the weeks to come, but Christ is calling for unity, not uniformity. We do not have to be the same to be one. Like, did you know that we can disagree with one another and still be united? (laughs) Did you know that you can be wrong and I'll still call you brother and sister? (laughs) My wife and I, if you guys know anything about the two of us, there are very few couples who are as different than we are. I mean, she is wrong about so many things. (laughs) You guys know I know (laughs) who's actually wrong. (laughs) 
Like we so quickly forget it was out of the ashes of disagreement and dissension that our founding fathers fought for and brought this nation into existence. You know history, were those conversations peaceful? (laughs) No, but they still led to unity. We can do it again. By God's grace, we can find unity again. But I have become convinced that it will not start in Washington. It's not gonna start in Austin. It's gonna start in the church. It's gonna start in our homes and then in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces. If we are truly the dwelling place of God, the holy temple, then by God's grace, we, not this building, we can be the place where hope and healing and reconciliation can be found. That is the gift that we bring to a hurting nation. This is a great nation, but she is in pain, struggling to find herself again. Y'all, I'm convinced we can help. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that we can come together just as family and friends on a holiday weekend and celebrate that we can eat great barbecue and blow some things up. (laughs) But what all of that represents are vital things that we find directly from Scripture that we are all created children of the living God that we should be free to make choices because you have given us that freedom, that justice matters, that liberty matters. So Father, I pray that as your church wrestles with all of these things and as we do it in the midst of a people and a nation that is really struggling to understand what all this means again, that we would not be a voice, that we would not use our voices to continue to cause division to create these us versus them categories, but that we would be an alternative voice. The people, when they hear us speak, when they interact with us, would find hope, would find healing, would find the reconciliation with you and with others that we have found. Help us be vehicles for that gift for others. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.